brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm Dr. Harrison Davis. And I'm Dr. Aisha Dickerson. And you're listening to Two Therapists and a Microphone. All right, welcome back to another episode of Two Therapists and a Microphone. We took a little mid-season break there for a while, but we are back. Uh, my name is Dr. Harrison Davis. And I'm Dr. Aisha Dickerson. And today we're going to talk about an important topic, one that is uh, important to me. It's one of my clinical passions. We're going to talk about black men and their psychological well-being. What do you think about that, Aisha? Well, um, I'm not a black man, of course, and I don't have any uh, sons, but it is still uh, an issue that I'm passionate about because, of course, as a black woman, I have a lot of black male uh, family members and clients that I've worked with. And let me just let you guys know a large portion of my private practice, a large number of the clients happen to be black males. And I tend to connect well with them. And then recently I was invited to a panel discussion on uh, the state of black men. And that was hosted in Atlanta by Brothers United. And it was a great conversation. We talked about a lot of things. I learned a lot of things. And I didn't think that two hours was adequate time to talk about that particular topic. So I thought it would be really great if we could devote a episode to a pair of clinicians who also are passionate about black men, their emotional well-being, and how well they're doing within our society. So we have two guests that are here today. Yes, we sure do. Our first guest, Dr. Makungu Akinyela is a licensed marriage and family therapist in practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and an associate professor in the African-American Studies Department at Georgia State University in Atlanta. As a scholar and a therapist, Dr. Akinyela has been a committed social justice organizer for over 40 years, focused on struggles for human rights and justice for black people in the United States in the African diaspora. His research and writing includes such subjects as cultural democracy and mental health care, cultural domination and therapeutic resistance, 
benefits, reparations, and the role of mental health workers in repairing oppressions, wounds, and African-centered family therapy. He is the developer of a culturally specific approach to narrative called testimony therapy, which he has written about extensively. Dr. Akinyela is committed to social justice and human rights work and has lectured, taught, and conducted workshops on these issues in such places as South Africa, Palestine, Hong Kong, Brazil, and Cuba. Welcome, Dr. Akinyela. Thanks for joining us well, today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And our second guest for today is Dr. Kinar Sanders. He is a licensed professional counselor and registered play therapist. He's earned his degrees here, his master's degree at University of West Georgia, his doctorate degree from Auburn University, and his undergraduate degree at Clark Atlanta University. He is currently an associate professor of counselor education and the department chair of the counseling department at Clark Atlanta. University. With over 20 years of professional experiences, he has served in the following capacities. He's been a teacher, educator, school counselor, K-12 administrator, adjunct professor, and he's currently also a counselor in private practice at Cornerstone Counseling Services in downtown Decatur. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sanders. Thank you. Great to be here. Glad you're here. So as I was researching for this particular show, I found some statistics, some things out there about black men. And I just want to go over some of them without giving a whole lot of statistics that are out there. What I discovered is that things are tough for the brothers. There's a high unemployment rate for black men in the United States compared to other groups. There's a high dropout rate for school for black males compared to other groups in the country. High percentage of black men are getting arrested and incarcerated uh, at higher numbers uh, than other groups. In fact, more recently, there were more black men incarcerated than there were in college. And black men are experiencing discrimination and racial bias more so than black women. As I run down some of that information that I discovered what are your thoughts about that, and how are black men coping or dealing with some of those realities out there? I want to start first. We, you know, the thing about numbers is they can be used in a lot of different ways. So, for instance, one of those things you talked about, about more black men in prison than in college, that's a myth. That's not true. Okay. There are far more black men in college than are actually in prison. I am glad to hear that. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I'm just reporting you know, what I read. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's, that, and that's what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what happens a lot around the conditions of black people is that our whole lives are pathologized. And so we focus on pathology rather than also focusing on what's going well. Okay. And uh, so that I think that would be an important place to start from the beginning. Uh, and, and particularly uh, because of the other reality in, in, in this society, uh, the, the, the reality of patriarchy and that most things are focused on maleness and manhood, uh, a, a huge attack on black people in general is an attack on manhood, black manhood, uh, based in, in the context of patriarchy, right? It's this idea of the, these battles between men for dominance. And so a lot of those things that you even put out focus on uh, pathologizing the ability of black men to be real black men. So I think if okay. we start from that conversation, uh, then it, it kind of gives us a context of how we should be thinking about what's actually going on. And it also takes it off of black men as a problem and the social context as the problem. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I can see how some people would believe that those statistics are correct. There are times in my life, maybe a day or two, when I would believe it. So I really think it goes down to how people live their lives. So what do I mean when I say that? Um, I look at the people who I surround myself with, the people who come into my counseling practice. I happen to work and teach at a historically black college. So I see hundreds of African-American men who are doing the opposite of that. Gotcha. But it is, I think, um, a little bit not easy, but it's easier, I think, for people to not see a lot of that. So if I were tuned into certain type of TV shows or news shows or lived a certain way, not seeing those things, I can see how some people would believe that. Gotcha. So what are some good things that you are proud of with um, looking at black men within our society? What are some things that you find encouraging? I think, you know, for me, um, particularly as I, I look at uh, young men, I'm I'm really happy and impressed with young men's willingness, ability, and real input, for instance, in terms of fathering. Again, some of the research shows that black men in, t- in relationship to all other men in this society are like, bar none, the best fathers there are. And that's good in terms of numbers, but I actually see it in terms of, I'll take a a look, just my own son, for instance, who uh, he's like the super dad, right? Mm -hmm. He, you know, now as a father, I say there's not much else he's doing right, but (laughs) 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 he's he's the super dad. Uh, He's much more focused on uh, parenting and fathering his two sons than I was on parenting. Uh, You know, you talked about my biography. I was busy being an activist. And so, you know, my (laughs) kids kind of got in, you know, my kids' earliest memories are me dragging them out on a backpack on my back at a demonstration, right? (laughs) (laughs) Whereas my son spends most of his weekends at basketball games, coaching basketball, doing all these things and going up to the school to be with his sons during the day, things like that. So I think... um, that, that's a really important thing. And again, often it gets pathologized, of course, the so-called myth of the, um, the, the deadbeat dad, the things like father. that, or the missing father, which is, again, far from the truth. And so we have to, we, we have to really, I believe, as mental health workers, uh, as, as folks who are concerned about black life in general, take a real counter-hegemonic approach to this and and start questioning the questions that are raised, right? If somebody throws some pathological question at us, we've got to question, what's your intent for that? What's that? So, for again, um, that's, you know, the, the, the whole role of young men and fathering. Uh, you feel encouraged by I, all I'm the effort. Highly encouraged. That Absolutely. black men are putting into becoming great fathers. Absolutely, which means making great connections with their family. Gotcha. So, yeah, so okay. that would be one thing I'm looking at. What, what's encouraging you, Dr. Sanders? The uh, everyday experiences that I see, I am one to sit and observe quite a bit. So as I see people walking through the door, I will see many times a black male going to hold the door open, helping someone pick up something that was dropped, someone that they don't know. And I think that that's really, really encouraging. Being um, helpful. Being helpful, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm quote unquote old school. So yes, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, there are times I do want to say, well, hey, I'm in my 20s as well. You know, you don't have to say that to me. I'm not. But I, I, I just it, but it's just those kinds of traditions, those things that I see in them. I'm like, 
yeah, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to admit that that's, that's been my experience with young black boys, uh, regardless of uh, how they look and um, stereotypes that people put on them. Those mm-hmm. that I've come in contact with are, are those that open the door and say, mm-hmm. yes, ma'am, open the door for I have two little girls, open the door for my girls and mm-hmm. help them carry their books when I see them at school. You did mention something, Dr. Sanders, about what's seen on TV. So I want to touch a little bit on um, something I've been uh, reading up on media psychology. Mm-hmm. What are some of the images that we commonly see uh, about our black man in the media that's just uh, not true? Besides the dead, we talked about the deadbeat father, those who aren't, mm-hmm. uh, who are absent or aren't paying child support. I think along that line, when the title is about not paying child support or being absent, I'm like, wow, they found a picture of a black man to put on there. But when there is a title or image of, hey, um, father or a person doing well in school, doing well with the family, more times than not, that image is not of a black male. Um, So I'm thinking about recent movies that have come out uh, that have black men in them like Moonlight. Uh, I know it won an award and people thought Moonlight was wonderful. I read an article, though, from um, a black male psychologist who voiced that he felt like Moonlight highlighted all of the bad things about uh, the African-American community. You had the mother who was on drugs, you had the down-low black male, and you had the drug dealer. And um, It was the surrogate father. Right, the drug dealer who was the, uh, the surrogate father, and um, those seem to be the images that are celebrated uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to black men. And what was that an Oscar or an Emmy? He, he won an Oscar, yeah. Okay. For best movie. <laughs> <laughs> I in I thought it was an excellent movie. It was a great movie. Um, it I, I think that when we get kind of critiques like that or criticisms like that, um, there's there's this real struggle I think in black communities where uh, the it's exceptionalism or except you know where we only want what's the most perfect, most brilliant, most acceptable images of our of our people's lives to be put out. Uh, well, we don't want to talk about those things. The, the, the thing about Moonlight is it showed the complexity of black life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's, and manhood. It's, you know, yeah, it, it, and the complexity of manhood. You know, all of those things. You know, it's like people got upset. What was the other movie? Precious, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, know, cause, you know, because, uh, you know, it showed a young woman in poverty. There's a segment of our people that live in poverty. That's There's a true. segment of our people that that struggle with depression. There's a segment of our people that struggles with obesity, right? Mm-hmm. And all of those stories need to get told, right? You know, the, the the funny part of that is that then if another story gets told, there's a complaint about that too. Well, all black people don't have money like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> all right. You know, all black people are not educated, right? You know, and so I think that the real issue is how do we deal with the complexities of black life, right? And those are stories that need to be told. For instance, the, the issue of Moonlight is there's things that actually talk about sexuality in a non-exploitive way. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes important. You know, can we talk about that part of it? What what can we learn about black manhood, right, um, from looking at stories like that, about the complexity of manhood and the complexity of sexuality and the complexity of gender, right? Uh, and for instance, us as mental health workers, what? how can we use that? Because we're going to see some of those folks come into our offices, right. into our spaces. And, and as always, when clients come into our spaces, I think it's incumbent upon us as mental health professionals to find the strengths 
and the client who sits in front of us because that is what we're going to build upon. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is complex, so we're going to see some areas for growth, but there are some areas for strength as well. And, and I think as mental health professionals, we are charged to highlight those. So going off the question from Asia, you know, I too see these different images and they're telling the, the true story of black people. And some of them are not very positive stories that are out there, but they're accurate sometimes. But I see those stories a lot. I, I look at television, I like movies, and I see those black characters as drug dealers. I see them engaging in criminal activity. I see them living in poverty. Uh, you know, Mudbound is a great movie also that's out there, and it's about a black family living in poverty uh, also. But there appears to be a lack of balance sometimes, despite this movie that just came out recently called Black Panther, you know, uh, <laughs> outside of that, you know, what do you guys think about this imbalance that's out there with the images and the media and movies about black people, particularly black men? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, that imbalance that's out there? That has always been a struggle for us in the context of, of this society. I think that one of the things that we are seeing, there absolutely historically, there's always been this imbalance. But I think, as as, as I probably the, I'm the oldest one in this room, as other generations begin coming up, things like film, you have young filmmakers who are trying to tell full stories, right, uh, and who who are bringing you know uh, across class lines, you know, stories about. Poor people, you know, stories, you know, uh, Girl Trip. Was that, is that the one? Girl right. Trip. I you saw know. that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, professional middle-class black women, mm -hmm. right, bringing their lives forward. So we're starting to get stories across class lines, but also, I guess, and again, my, just from, from where I stand, it's uh, praising those people who are doing the independent work outside of, as opposed to constantly begging somebody else to tell our stories for them. Okay. But praising and lifting up those stories that get told. And supporting right? them. And supporting them that, 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 are, that are told independently, right, uh, in that way. I think that's, you know, that becomes a thing. And I, But again, I, I really believe that um, we've become so used to pathologization that we can only think of pathology when we see something. And so it is, it's almost like no matter what gets put forward— you know, there's this whole industry of, well, that's all right, but they could have done it this way. They should have done it this way, right? <laughs> As opposed to, to seeing, I, even in terms of my approach to therapy, it's looking for solutions rather than looking for the pathology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, saying, okay, what are we doing right? What's going well, right? Okay. And talking about that and seeing then now can we do more of that? Gotcha. So, Dr. Sanders, what do you think about what's, what's the possible impact of media displaying these negative images of black men more than the positive images? I think it can begin to take on the um, possibility that that could be something real. So in other words, people can think, oh, that's the story, when that is truly not the story. It's definitely not the whole story. So it creates a narrative mm -hmm. that people actually believe in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on one end, we have these negative images. And as uh, Harrison brought up, on the other end, we have our superheroes, Black Panther. Mm -hmm. What was the significance of Black Panther um, recently? What, what are you <laughs> seeing in the community? Is it is it really positive? Because it is, you know, an imaginary story. But it seems it's a fantasy. like it's, right, it's, it's a fantasy, but it's, it's a positive image. What do you all think about that? 
Well, I won't say anything because I thought it was real. <laughs> That's right. You can fly to Wakanda. Get a ticket today. I'm going to summer. <laughs> You're going to summer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, myth is an important part of any people's culture, right? You know, so that, that becomes really important it, in terms of it thinking about what the possibilities are. You know, that's historically, that's been the role of science fiction, mm-hmm. both to, to critique society and I think... Um, uh, Black Panther de- definitely does that. It's this whole debate and argument between continental Africans and Africans in America, right? Uh, the right. whole the whole question of the folks that got abandoned mm-hmm. or felt abandoned, right? Uh, it, it dealt with those things, and that's what good science fiction does anyway. It 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 it, it brings current events, puts them in a kind of an abstracted story, so we can think about it and not feel too pressured about the thought. So it did that. Um, I think also. I, the, the conversation that it's that is brought in in terms of black folks around the world is what if what if we had not okay. experienced this thing what are the possibilities of what we could have accomplished and again I'm thinking thinking about that therapeutically right think about what you do with your own clients wow what if this trauma had not happened how do you imagine your life would have been different right now describe that part of your life to me wow you think it's possible to even even though that trauma did happen that we can recreate that space in your mm-hmm. life now? You know, that's you know, that that's it's it's a therapeutic thing, I think, to have stories of power and empowerment. The, and then the last great thing, of course, in terms of Black Panther is it challenges that thing that I started talking about some time ago, the question of patriarchy. Right. The, the, the question of imbalances between men and women. Okay, right? right. And you can and people can start envisioning. You know, my wife woke me up this morning. Right. She was like crying because um, uh, 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 um, I want to say Michonne, but uh, <laughs> uh, Guerrera, the sister who plays a courier. Cor- right. Yes. Okay. Uh, made this amazing speech at the essence of. Um, Awards. Awards, right. That's right. Okay. And my wife, you know, and it's all about the sisterhood of black women, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's outside of the film, it's creating all kinds of other, I think, culturally significant conversations, gender conversations, inter intergender conversations, right? Uh, that become really important. And and along that whole notion of myth and reality, when I work with my clients, I do help them to determine what is real, what is not and how it's healthier to make decisions based upon what's real. However, that myth, that fantasy, you can work toward that. So how can we make more of those ideas, those concepts that we see in Black Panther become real? Mm-hmm. It, does, it does challenge us for that. Well, I was excited about the response to uh, Black Panther. I thought it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, too. I'm not I really into it. comic book movies, but uh, no. that was a— No, I'm not. No. But that was a great movie. I, I really like that movie, and I mentioned that it is a myth. Uh, <laughs> I keep up with all of them. I, I, so do I. I. I knew exactly what was happening. I don't know anything about Captain America. So uh, you ready for Infinity War? I am. Yes, right. I am. That's right. <laughs> and in the movie, uh, like I mentioned, focuses on— some myths that are out there and I understand the cultural significance of some of those things and then we come back to reality you know here uh, in the U.S. and I want to ask you guys as clinicians about what are some of those realities that you're seeing with some of your black male clients what is those what are some of those things that are common that you're seeing and I'll share with you also in Asia as well about some things that we're seeing you know probably 
one of the, the major things that I, I that I see right now is folk who are experiencing depression. Okay. You know, but it's depression that 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 expresses itself in ways that may not look like depression. Exactly. Right away, right. you know, it, it looks like anger. Uh, it looks like resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, it looks all kind. It looks in ways that we wouldn't. You know, if, if you went to school, maybe you. It's not in the DSM four mm-hmm. that way, right? Right. It's not uh, listed as yeah. anger. Instead, yeah, you know, yeah. you have black men have, being ordered to go to anger management counseling yeah, instead of exactly going you to know, therapy for depression. It's um, it's like getting up and smoke, having to hit a blunt before you get out the bed, mm-hmm. right? It's to medicate it. Yeah, you know, but you know, the folk. I I just did a write off uh, the other day for a guy who got. You know, uh, the police arrested him for a traffic violation. They knew he had some weed in his pocket, but they didn't take it out of his pocket until he crossed over the line to be put in booking. That way they could arrest him for having drugs in (laughs) the facility. Okay. Oh. (laughs) Wow, they set him up for the okie Yeah, you know. um, You know, but so, of course, one of his things is he had to come for some assessment, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so, so what's the what's our responsibility then? You know, I mean, no, his problem is not drugs per se, right? It might it's poor decision making, right, in right. terms of things that he did, but it's it's that. But you know, and again, and he's he's feeling some stress from that, you know, and he's feeling anger and resentment and all those things, right? So, what is our role as 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 a therapist in helping this man deal with that kind of contradiction? Yeah. Gotcha. So you're seeing a lot of anger and resentment, mm-hmm. and some of the the brothers are demonstrating that mm-hmm. uh, through some of their conversations and, and uh, interactions with other individuals. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Dr. Sanders? That black men do go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, yes. It was actually, um, it was kind of an eye-opener for me in that maybe a couple of years ago, I was talking with a friend early one morning, and she was like, how many clients do you have today? I said, seven. She said, oh, what time? And I pulled up my calendar and I looked and I noticed each of those seven clients were men. That was the first thing I thought about. And then each of them were black. And I just said, oh, wow. That's encouraging. Yes, it is. In teaching in academia and in working uh, with various students, we always hear that there's a stigma about mental health mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. black community, and, and especially for black men, that mm-hmm. they don't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for yeah. all the work that you do, and you too, Dr. Akinyela, seeing black well, but, men. But, you know, I think, and that that's true, but I think the reason that that— you can say that that black men go to therapy is because of the folks sitting in this circle is because people are aware that there's some black folk that they can go to. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, again, uh, that whole idea where black people don't go to therapy, uh, it, the, the onus was put on black folks. There's a problem with black folks because they don't go to therapy as opposed to, wait, what's wrong with therapy that, that they don't want to go there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason that we are seeing, you know, 99% of my clients are black folk, right? I make a living, and I don't use insurance. I haven't used insurance in 20 years. Look at you. <laughs> I, you know, um, I can't do that. You know, and, and, and so I have, I have clients who they come and they pay, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not that black people won't go to therapy or don't go to therapy, but the context of therapy in the past, and that's why the books are still being written based on that, Right. right. As, as opposed to the reality that we're mm-hmm. creating by being black therapists who 
have some affinity and connection to to our community. I, too, am seeing more black clients in my uh, practice. I like turning that corner, you know, in a lobby. When I have a new name on my calendar, all I see is a, a name. And then I see that it's a brother out there. And sometimes he's with his girlfriend or his wife or something like that. So I'm always encouraged when I see that. But what do you believe is contributing to some of that stigma that's within the black community that's preventing some of these guys to go out and seek out help? Or is there even still? Or is it still there? Yeah, I, I, I think it's that. There's, there's stigma about mental health for sure. Okay. You know, uh, there's a, you know there's some of those things that we know about. You know, you know, folks would rather depend on God or the church or whatever as opposed to going. There's some stigma about saying that I went to a counselor, right? Instead of having faith and praying. Right. It and, out. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like I said, I think the fact that people know that there are some black people who exist that they can go to takes that down. That helps. And people are willing, but. You know, again, and we I just had I just I'm teaching a class right now called Issues in the African American Community and one of the first issues we dealt with was the issue of mental health and we had that conversation. One of my big surprises is that we were having conversation in class. This is one of those big university classes, so there's about sixty students in there, right? <laughs> but that is big. The surprising right. thing and I'm not used to having big classes anymore. Right? <laughs> but the surprising thing is so many students started talking about this and they they disclosed their personal stories. They weren't afraid to talk about their own mental health struggles in the class. And I, I wasn't even looking for that. We were just talking about it and they just one after the other started self-disclosing about their own mental health stories. So that's one thing. There's people want to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. That's one. But and feeling we, like they're, they're they're not alone yeah. in dealing with some of these things, yeah. But then the other thing we we did talk about what's okay, what is the historical stigma that's been there? It's it's you know, uh one of my mentors uh is a uh, uh, a family therapist Nancy Boyd Franklin. Um and um who really wrote the book on black families in therapy. And um and uh, she she has this thing that she talks about. Uh, she calls it, you know, it's 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 healthy cultural paranoia. And the basic point is, if there's a stigma and if black people are paranoid about going to therapy, there's a reason behind it, right? There's a whole history of black the black community's relationship with the medical field, with the psychiatric field, mm-hmm. the fact that um, gynecology was developed by experimenting on black enslaved women. Right. right. Uh, who had no choice with it. The fact of of phony, fake um, mental health diseases being created to legitimize slavery. Right. In terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, that that the, that and there were real scientific write ups about this. The Tuskegee experiment that everybody knows they don't know the details, but they know something bad happened in Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. Right. The fact that throughout the 50s and the early 60s that black prisoners were used for lobotomy experiments. Right. People hear these things and stories get told. And so, though, you know, our folk tell stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so there's some real reasons. There's real reasons for black folks to be afraid or are not. And so and that's find that's, it appealing to go to a therapist. That's legitimate. And our people have told those stories over and over again. Sometimes they get a little twisted and the details get lost. But you know what? Don't let them get in your head. <laughs> right? So we get you, warnings from other black folks, you know, don't go there so they can try exactly. to use you or get information out of you. Exactly. And so there's reason for that. Right. So the question becomes, how do we change that context to take away the fear that people have? That's legitimate fear. Gotcha. Okay. And I think one of the ways we can take it 
um, take away that fear is to talk about it more. Mm-hmm. So I've made it a personal challenge to talk more about my mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that as I've done that over the years, friends who I've known for over 20 years, who've known I've been in this field, have started calling me after we would mm. meet out at a restaurant. Um, Ken, you stated you were seeing, you know, Dr. So-and-so. Um, you know, I've kind of had the same issues. Mm-hmm. We've known each other for years. They know I teach this. They know I've worked in this field. But it was really only after I started talking about some of the issues that I have. So personally, it was helpful for me because there was some shame behind it for me. But of course, that which we talk about, there no longer is shame. Mm-hmm. And then once we talk about it and it becomes a little bit more normal and okay, Demystifying I think people it. will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's helpful for black folks to just acknowledge, yeah, I am going to see a therapist mm. to demystify it, to sort of open a door. It's okay for you to go. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's a good way we can try to fight back some of those historical situations mm-hmm. that we are using to stigmatize mental health and treatment for it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You guys see anything else that's contributing? Well, I think that um, in line with what Dr. Akinyela was saying, when you have clients come in, I think a lot of times the informed consent has scared a lot of people away because you do have those therapists who are not as culturally competent and people are afraid if I say certain things, you're going to call defects. Mm -hmm. You know, if I say I left my 10-year-old at home because I have to go to work and pay the bills, they're going to say I neglected them. And I have seen people come in and be afraid to tell me things in the beginning because um, of times that they've had maybe court-ordered counseling with a different therapist Mm -hmm. who reported to a social worker that they neglected or abused the child because they spanked them, even if the child wasn't bruised. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is educating new therapists about what is uh, culturally appropriate and not dangerous uh, for certain people so that they don't um, punish them for poverty. People are Mm -hmm. being punished for poverty sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have enough bedrooms for everyone to have mm-hmm. their own bedroom or they don't have an, what another therapist or social worker considers adequate food in the house at the time. So um, those are some things I think should probably mm-hmm. be. It's just advocacy for our clients when it comes to uh, what's what should be reported and what shouldn't be reported. Yeah, we could, we could do a better job sometimes at educating our clients so that they don't perceive us as, as being part of that system that's going to get them in trouble, that's yeah. going to call the police, that's going to call defects. And perhaps we can do a better job at that. But I am glad to hear that that stigma is being um, lifted up, you know, just a little bit. And as you guys think about some of your clients, particularly your black male clients, what do you believe prompted them to come in? What convinced them that it was time for them to actually go see a therapist? That's I want to hear some question. of that. Most of, most of my clients, I work with couples. I specialize in couples. I work with individuals. And so usually when folks are calling me, it's because they're feeling a lot of pain in their relationship. Okay. Right, in the relationship, and they're looking for some help. Uh, so that's kind of the motive. And prob- they realize they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. It's not working. They keep doing the same thing over and over, right? And now we're down to we, we we're down to making a choice. All right, either it's gonna work or we're not gonna work. And some desperation. At least half of the f- first callers are the men in relationships, right? Mm. Uh, you know who you know, and and most of most most of my couples are heterosexual couples. I have some same-sex and same-gender-loving couples also. But in terms of those 
uh, heterosexual couples, it's it's at least half of the first callers are men. And who, so they're taking the first step. They're taking that first to step. To save they're their the marriage and their families. Exactly. So they're, they're making that call because it's like, I can't think of anything else to do. We can't, yeah. you know, we can't fix this. But again, I go back to those folks, they do it because they start off by a hunt. They're looking for somebody black, first off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's what uh, they're putting in Google, black, <laughs> yes, married, and family exactly. therapist. That's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I think when we start talking about the stigma disappearing, that's important. It's, it's it, you know, oftentimes in those classes about so-called cultural competency, that's that's kind of avoided the the idea that it is important wh- who your who your therapist mm-hmm. is, right? So they're looking for that something familiar, well, yeah. right? Your client exactly. needs to feel comfortable and, in the you know, therapeutic uh, environment. And the funny thing is, often to, sometimes the guys are looking for a man, but mm-hmm. sometimes even if their wives call, they want they want to have a male therapist because. The, <laughs> You know, um, right. they, they feel that will somehow balance out the thing with 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 their uh, partners. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that those guys are sort of feeling desperate. You know, they've hit a wall and they've realized they don't have the internal resources to try to figure this thing out. And that mm-hmm. is enough for them because now they know what's at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, this is their family. This is their marriage. Mm-hmm. And they decide to turn to a therapist, an expert who mm-hmm. can actually help them out. And that's helping him to overcome some of that embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a stigma about mental health. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that. What are you seeing, Dr. Sanders? Many times my clients have been referred by someone else. So they've heard uh, another friend or a neighbor or someone say they've been to counseling it has been helpful. Mm-hmm. And I see quite a few black male clients who have either depression or anxiety, one of the two. Now, it's been my experience, I'm wondering about yours, for me to use the word depression, oh, that's just kind of like, stops the session. <laughs> but to use the word anxiety, that's a little bit more. Mm. Okay. Well, people can say they feel anxious, but not not depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that brings on the fear of, are you going to try to get me put on medicine mm-hmm. or have me hop- hospitalized? Mm-hmm. Yeah, depression can be a scary word sometimes for some of the black folks. So I've learned to uh, use other terms or even ask them, how would you define depression? Exactly. How can you tell if someone else is depressed just mm-hmm. to take that uh, information outside of them and look at it from an external lens with that? Are you guys seeing any other reasons black men are coming to therapy? Because I, I want to pinpoint all of those reasons to help out our audience who are, who are out there thinking about therapy. Either their friends, co-workers, or relatives want to refer uh, that black male to therapy. But I want them to be clear about some reasons why black guys do go to therapy. I think, again, uh, relationship stuff always, you know, brings— uh, Conflict, conflict at work. Things, Poor quality relationships yeah, where people aren't everywhere. You know, yeah, um, you know those those are those those issues. Um, obviously, um, in some cases, people are mandated for whatever reason, uh, so-called anger management or right. <laughs> right? Uh, whatever mm-hmm. they you know you get mandated by the court. Um, you know, but you know, I think. There's there's a much more of an openness. If my life is not going right, maybe there's somebody I can reach out for help. I don't I don't know about y'all's experience, but I've had folks who call me. They say they want to come in and talk. They're not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. They just you know you just want to talk to somebody. Yeah, they're not just like well I don't know what's wrong. Well I'm, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know <laughs> what, you know well what, what what the last if you did know what it look I I don't I just. Things mm-hmm. just ain't right, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and so and that's a part of our work too to help people divine where they are, 
Yeah. You know, um, but again, the important thing is that that growing openness that people have. And I'll go back to it's because people can now get on Google and actually find uh, somebody black. My name is easy because of my name. People say, oh, he got an He's African black, name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us got to post a picture of ourselves. <laughs> Hence, if you go to my website, my picture's the first thing you see. Yeah. Um, I've noticed, too, some clients who... F- Notice that it takes them longer to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. How their sleep is interrupted. Okay. Sometimes it takes too. them longer they than what they want to complete tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, they are still doing their work, but they're staying at work now mm-hmm. until eight, until nine. So they want to be able to manage tasks um, mm-hmm. a little bit quicker, a little mm-hmm. bit easier. So they notice that it's much more of a challenge to do the things that used to be easy for them mm-hmm. or they're not sleeping as well. And that can definitely interfere with their productivity mm-hmm. exactly. uh, throughout the week. And these are mm-hmm. some of the reasons that you're hearing. Yes, uh, from as well as um, weight increase, as well as blood pressure going up, mm-hmm. you know, as well as having a little bit more headaches. So I've had quite a few physicians to refer clients to me, Very which good. has been helpful because, you know, those are just symptoms of other things that's going on, you know, in life. So having another medical expert say, hey, you need to go talk to somebody, mm-hmm. that's been very helpful, too. I mm-hmm. didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So as we start to wind down, I want to ask, uh, as a black woman, what are some of the things that you think we can do to help our black men, those if we have uh, black male children, those that we're in relationships with? Tell me what I can do to help mm. outside of being a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to do that. <laughs> mm. Good question. Ooh. One that I'm scared to really kind of respond to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because really, I mean, th- there are thoughts I have, but I'm like, okay, how do I word this? Um, so I'm trying to lean into that just saying it, and if I mess it up to clean it up later. Okay. But one of the things I know I've noticed, it, it seems to me that the interaction is not helpful when the interaction is telling a black man do this, do this, remember, remember, remember. It seems to have this, oh, that he's 15 years old and there's his mother there. Treat a black man like a man and not a boy. Yes. Okay. But I, I say then on the opposite end of that, also demand respect as an equal human being in whatever that relationship is, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I think, and again, I would say that one of the real contexts for mental illness in this society is the question of patriarchy and sexism. And this this idea that somehow just because you got a penis that that makes you superior to everybody else. Uh, and I think that sometimes that, that, that gets played into. And it doesn't have to be a contentious Demand it's, it's simply, hey, you know, speaking with respect, mm-hmm. demanding speaking with respect. My wife and I used to get into arguments when I was younger, and, and uh, I would raise my voice, and she'd remind me, don't talk to me in those man tones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it took me a minute to get what that was, mm-hmm. but we men do do that. You know, we, we when we're contending, particularly contending with women, we deepen our voices, we raise our voices with the hint of threat, mm-hmm. right? That That's a part of male privilege, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's helpful when women can remind us how to treat them, mm-hmm. you know, how to treat them as equal partners in, in this experience that we're going through in life. Um, and so that, and I think that becomes very important because it's showing us how to, how to be 
human beings, you know. Uh, so I think that's an important part of what can be done. Thank you. So give respect and demand respect. I like it. And it sounds like it's important for what I'm hearing Asia ask, how can black women show support mm -hmm. for those black men who are obviously struggling? Mm -hmm. You know, what to do? You know, we already talked about depression and how it's being manifest through anger and resentment. And sometimes those women will go to their husband, boyfriend, brother, co-worker, you know, about some things that they're noticing. And then they get lashed out at, mm -hmm. you know, by the brother. Uh, so it's important for us to think about how to offer that support mm -hmm. and to understand how he might actually respond to that. And I oftentimes tell some of my clients, the wives, you know, you need to come from a spirit of caring, mm -hmm. you know, or concern and sometimes be persistent. Mm -hmm. You know, with it, you know, don't be so demanding the first time you notice and you tell them you need to go see somebody. Perhaps we can come back to that topic another day or something, especially if you see the behaviors beginning to escalate. Mm -hmm. You know, those are some things that I can think of as you were talking about um, that particular mm -hmm. topic about black women and what can they actually do to help out some of the brothers. It's a delicate balance it between su supporting and protecting yourself mm -hmm. at the same time. You know, and I think. All of this, is it's important, you know, a lot of the things that happen around mental health or, or poor mental health in black communities is, I believe, about alienation and isolation. We're, we're a communal folk and a community-based folk. And so I think it's important to, if, if you're the helper, to look for some resources that you can bring to kind of support you in helping that person. Okay. If you're that person that needs some help, right, don't try to work it out by yourself. A lot of times that's what, oh, I can handle this. I, you know, I, I, you know I'm just a little sad right now. That's why I'm crying like this. I can fix this by myself. And we really end up isolating ourselves even more. But our real health comes from community, from building a community around us, right? Looking for people who are going to be positive and supportive of us getting better, you know, and, and surrounding ourselves or surrounding our loved one with those kinds of folk, a community of folk. I know a lot of churches who are, who are dealing with questions of mental health really focus on that. You know, how do you help the greatest number of people in the church understand mental health? And then how do you recruit those people to be supportive of, of, of people in the church who are struggling around mental health. So you bring a community together and people aren't having to act in isolation or alienation. So as we're wrapping up, what I want to ask you to, um, what can you say right now to that guy, that brother, who is listening to this podcast, who is struggling with something, daily struggles within his relationships, his job, uh, his spiritual life, his emotional, psychological life. What can you tell him now uh, to try to encourage him? Or what type of message would you have for that guy right now? One of the things I often say to, to people, I'm not sure how this will resonate with everyone, but um, hey, you go to work. You pay these benefits, you have health insurance, use it. Okay. Right. I mean, you go to a dentist, go to an eye doctor. If you don't, you should because you're paying these benefits. <laughs> you should use it. Go go talk with a counselor. It, it, it can be challenging finding one. I, I know when I've switched, I'm like, wow, I'm in a profession. It, it's, it's hard to find one. Talk to a neighbor. Talk to a friend. Go online. 
But uh, I think um, making most use of the benefits, the services, the resources that you have, sort of like having a car warranty, but just not ever taking your car back to the shop. I mean, we wouldn't do that. No. Some people do it. Well, yeah, some people do. But it's not helpful. It's not helpful because after the warranty is gone, then that's when you start having those right. issues. Going now. Yeah. I think I would say to, um, to, to black men out there that your manhood does not have to be based on how hard you are. And your ability to withstand all pain, right? You, you, that you don't have to be a superman, that in, and you don't have to be have to close yourself off emotionally from those folk who you say you love, right? That that's really contributing to any stress or strain you're feeling emotionally or mentally. That you know to 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 give up this idea that your manhood is based upon how hard you have to be, and open yourself up and allow yourself to be a little vulnerable to the folk around you and to listen to the folk who are concerned for you and trust that 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 voice of concern you hear is not to make you weak, but to hold you up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. Please let our listeners know where they can find you. I can be found at um, Cornerstone Counseling Services, downtown Decatur and Clark Atlanta University Counseling Education Department. The first place to find me is at my website, drmakungu.com. That's D-R-M-A-K-U-N-G-U.com. That's a great place. My practice uh, right now is uh, on the west side of Atlanta, 1218 Fairburn Road. Um, I'm familiar with that area. Off of Cascade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've traditionally always been on the east side, and I'm I'm getting back over there as well, back in the DeKalb County area. But that's where I can be found right now. Thank you. All right. So thank you guys for coming on board this week and talking about black men, mental health and the stigmas uh, associated with uh, seeking out mental health and what we can actually do. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You can check us out at www.twotherapists, that's T-W-O, therapists with an S, dot com, or link up with us on Facebook. Just search for Two Therapists. And I'm Dr. Harrison Davis. I'm Dr. Aisha Dickerson. And we will see you guys next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.